glad you're here. Uh, we have been, uh, all summer, been working our way through the Psalms. We call it Summer Psalms, and it's a great time, but we've came to an end of that last week, and we're picking back up in Luke, uh, where we left off when uh, roughly college students left uh, in the spring. And so we'll be in Luke chapter 9. If you've got your Bible or an app that is the Bible, uh, head over that way uh, to Luke chapter 9. And so it's been a while. I want to give you a little bit of a recap, kind of like a, a TV show, right? Uh, previously on the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and, and catch you up with, with what's been going on. The very last thing we saw was Jesus, um, well, this man named Jairus had um, a leader of the synagogue comes to Jesus because his 12-year-old daughter was sick uh, and he was worried she was going to die. And, and on the way, Jesus gets distracted uh, because this woman who's had a, been bleeding for 12 years uh, reaches out and touches his, his robe. Uh, and and, and what ends up happening is Jesus heals her, and this conversation happens, and it makes him run behind, and, and in the end, Jairus' daughter does, in fact, die, and, and yet when Jesus gets there, he's able to bring her back to life, uh, and he's told, and, and he tells everyone there, don't tell anyone what you've seen, uh, and so that's kind of right where we left off uh, as far as where, yeah, where things were going right before this area, so we're going to read our passage today in two sections, which makes it seem a little bit like two passages, but they are tied together. And the first one is going to be Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. So let's, let's go ahead and read that. You follow along as I read. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, <clears throat> no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they, they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed, and they went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. The grass withers, the flower fades. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come now <clears throat> leaning into your word. We would come asking you to once again feed and nourish us with it. For we are needy and we are hungry, and we know this will do for our souls what food will do for our bodies. Lord, we ask you to make yourself known to us, and so we ask for you to enlighten our minds for hearing and believing and obeying your beautiful word. Clear away from our minds this morning any distraction that, that might come, and we ask that you'd bind the evil one who wishes to snatch away the seed of the gospel. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. So, internships are a thing that actually exists today. Many of you know that because you are interns. Um, and yet, they're not always the way that we might expect them to be. Uh, I don't know what your own experiences have been with them, but <clears throat> I recently heard a girl named Sydney explain that she was incredibly excited because she had gotten this summer internship that was for this, this beauty, uh, somewhere in the beauty industry, and she was so excited to learn the industry and, and to work under this particular boss she'd heard so much about. And, and yet, what she ended up finding herself doing all summer long was moving furniture from, uh, from her boss's one apartment in New York City to another apartment in New York City, uh, which became the bulk of her internship. Uh, that and taking care of that same boss's dog. And so it's not at all what she uh, had really been expecting to learn. Uh, sometimes internships go like that. My, 
My seminary, Westminster, required that everyone have an internship before you were able to graduate. Uh, and I did mine at this Reformed Baptist Church uh, just north of Dallas, Texas. And I must say, the pastor there did a fantastic job of making sure he would throw me out in all sorts of situations of, you know, here's how we do it, now go do it. Uh, and, and it was fantastic, you know, as you're building up and learning how to do stuff. Uh, and I know we've got a few of you that are interns here. Um, Talmadge over here and Emily somewhere and uh, Sammy for sure. And there might be a few more of you that are interning with crew and, and RUF this year. And for those, you know, our, our hope is that this is going to be uh, a time period in your life where you're not only seeing, where you're observing what, what ministry looks like, but are getting opportunities yourself to actually do the ministry. Uh, that this will be an incredible time of encouragement for you and, and the students that you're called to disciple. Now, what we see in our passage today is, is that Jesus' disciples are, are in this internship. That's not what Scripture calls it, but it's like an internship. Uh, and his disciples are, are, are being sent out to put into practice all the things that they've been observing Jesus actually doing. And, and there's been some amazing stuff that we've seen, right? I mean, think of the, the, the examples. If you just flip backwards in your Bible, right, to chapter 8 and 7 and 6 and so on, you, you start to see that Jesus has actually been modeling these three things that he's sending them out to do for them along the way, right? He's, he's sending them out to heal, and they've seen him healing people. You remember uh, the paralytic man who's lowered down through the roof, or uh, the guy with the withered hand that we learned about at one point, the, the woman with the discharge we already mentioned, um, and the centurion's uh, servant, and so he's seen the healing. Uh, Jesus has also been casting out demons. You think of the, the, the man in Capernaum, right? He casts out the demons, sends them to the pigs, and makes some sort of pig stew in the, in the river is the end result. Um, you see, Jesus has been uh, also preaching the kingdom of God. If you just turn back one chapter to, uh, to Luke chapter 8 there, in the very first, first verse we read this, that, that Jesus went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and, and the twelve were with him. They were watching this. They were observing it. And the apostles have seen it all, but now we learn that here's Jesus gathering them all together, and he's doing so in order to commission them, that is to give them some official instruction for an official task, an official assignment or mission that he's going to send them out on. It's a lot like the Great Commission, right, uh, that Jesus later gives the disciples after his resurrection. But this one's not the Great Commission. This is the fairly decent commission, or the first commission, or I don't know, maybe the apostolic commission, right? Because it, it's being given to these men that are in a particular position as, as apostles, uh, uniquely so, and in fact, they're going to have no successors after Paul, so maybe it's the apostolic commission. The assignment is quite simple in many regards. Jesus gives the uh, apostles here, right? It's... Um, it gives them two things here, right? You see what those two things are? It gives them two things in order to do the assignment, rather. It gives them power and it gives them authority. Even Judas is given the power and authority here. There's no reason to think otherwise. Which serves as a great warning to us in many regards that, you know, it's actually possible to participate in the life of the church and even ministry while secretly not really trusting in Christ. That's the case we see with Judas here. 
And, and so then Jesus gives them this, right? Power, right? Power is the ability to do something, but you can have the ability and still not have the authority to do so. And so Jesus also gives them the authority to do something. Uh, that means just that they had the right to do it. And they needed both of them in order to accomplish the mission. And the mission is this, right? It's very clear there in verse 2. Three things. One, heal people of demons. Uh, That would be pretty neat. Two, uh, heal people of diseases. Uh, That's going to make them real popular. Three, preach the kingdom of God. That might not. Uh, They were given power and authority to miraculously heal people and to cast out demons And the reason for that is so that they could prove that the message that they are preaching is indeed true. Now, today, God still heals people, sometimes in miraculous ways that doctors and others cannot make sense out of, yes. But today, you're not going to find an individual who has the ability on its own uh, to, to actually cause it like the apostles did. I know you might have seen videos on YouTube proving or saying otherwise, but that's not reality. And, and I know, though, um, it, you know, think about that. It, it would be one of the greatest things, and I think we really want that ability because it, can you imagine how easy it would be to proclaim the gospel to someone if you could go into a, a hospital in town and just heal someone of stuff? Anything? In the name of Jesus, your cancer is healed. So can I tell you about Jesus now? Would that not make the whole sharing the gospel quite a bit easier? And yet the Lord in in his providence, for reasons we do not know, chose not to give us that ability. And yet we still have the same message we're called to proclaim. So still, we're called to heal in in other ways, just not miraculous ways. In the sense that we minister to people, that that we care about the the whole of people. Not not just what's spiritual, not just let me tell you the gospel and who cares about your uh, your body, your physical, your needs of that sense. We we want to care completely. And that means if you're you're serious about loving people and and, and ministering the gospel to people, you've got to be willing to... To, to share your time, to share your money, to be able to, uh, to care for their physical needs as well. Now, I know it sounds like the best thing they're doing, and, and if we're kind of looking at this and thinking, if you could have any of those three, you could either go preach the God, or proclaim the kingdom of God, or, or heal people of disease, or cast out demons, right? The, the two coolest of those seem like casting out demons and, and healing people. And, and yet the reality, the, the truth is that the best thing they were doing was preaching the kingdom of God. Hear me out on that. It's best because the people that were healed eventually died of something. Some other disease, some injury, something eventually uh, ended their life. And yet those who believed in Jesus because of the proclamation of the gospel, uh, their, their soul was healed and they received salvation, which is an eternal gift. Uh, superior to any of the other things they were able to do. And so then the main part of the assignment then is, is to proclaim the kingdom of God, to proclaim it. See, that, the Greek word that, that we translate into English, and it just means preach, right, is, uh, was originally a word that was used to describe the, the proclamation, the announcement, the heralding uh, of a king who had arrived somewhere. And, and, and so the, the king's about to show up here, and this is the, hear ye, hear ye, the majesty, or his majesty, the king has arrived. That's preaching, that's proclamation, announcing the arrival. I not long ago actually saw the, um, the video of the 
uh, when the first little baby was born to Kate and whatever that guy's name that no one knows is, um, the prince, they actually had this guy in an old, old like medieval outfit come out with a scroll and do this whole announcement uh, of the baby's coming. So if you haven't seen that, it's worth watching. Uh, anyway, that's the idea. It's just this announcing the, the, the coming, right? And so the, 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 the apostles here are sent out to announce the glorious good news that Christ the King has arrived. And they're speaking to this Jewish audience. And so they had this idea that the Messiah, remember Christ is a title that means Savior, uh, Messiah that has been promised. He's arrived, and that's what they go out and do. See, though, when we preach the kingdom today, it's not just that Jesus has arrived, but we're preaching that Jesus has conquered death. He's defeated sin. He's accomplished salvation. To, uh, he brings it to those who are going to trust in his name. In fact, Paul and, and Silas on their missionary uh, journey, when they, when they engage with the Philippians jailer in Acts 16.31, the, the simple message they tell them is, believe in the Lord Jesus and, and you will be saved. It's that proclamation. So now we're going to come back to the message of the kingdom. It's really important. Uh, but for now, I just need you to know that the proclamation of the word of God is a means of grace. It's for the good of those who hear it and receive it. And it brings about judgment for those who hear it and reject it. So we'll leave it at that for now. Um, in verse 3, though, Jesus gives them some instructions further on this thing, right? They, they're to go on this journey, and they're not supposed to take anything with them, right? Um, this would be difficult for many of us today. Um, this is where I'm not supposed to throw my wife under the bus, I believe, and her packing abilities. Anyway, uh, the reason for no supplies given here is, is that most likely, uh, the, the point then is that they are supposed to be learning to trust God to provide for them through the hospitality uh, of others, right? In other words, sovereignly through providence. And it, and it might also be that when, when we are so self-sufficient, and we are a culture that is fairly self-sufficient at this point, but, but the more self-sufficient that we don't need other people or other people's things, we begin to lack interaction with people, and that makes it a lot more difficult to talk to them about Christ or, or anything of that nature. Uh, I, I know that when we moved here, and to this day still, we don't own a ladder, but all of our neighbors own ladders. And so when we need ladders, one of the greatest ways I've had to, to go meet my neighbors is because, well, a whole history of not having the right tool, actually, has made me get to know my neighbors real quick. Do you have a ladder that I can borrow? And, and, and if we had all that stuff, I don't know that we would have known our neighbors as well or know our neighbors as well as we do that way. So uh, that's part of it. And so then Jesus gives these weird instructions for finding housing, right? To stay in the first house you enter. In other words, um, don't look for the nicest lodging you can find. Don't, you know, this is nice. Let me get back to you. I'm going to go look on Airbnb, see what I can find. Um, don't, don't do that. Accept the first hospitality is offered to you and be content with that. Um, and then his last bit of instruction is, is how to respond when people reject them. And, and, and you see the things they're going to be doing, and you kind of wonder, how in the world are people going to be rejecting them? Um, but how to respond when people reject them? And, 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 and listen, they're, they're not being rejected, right, for healing people. No one's going to reject them for that. They're not being rejected for casting demons out of people. No one's going to reject them for that which means they're going to be rejected simply for the, the message that they do indeed proclaim. 
And, and, and if they're going to be rejected, right, the apostles who are filled with these amazing giftings at the moment, we shouldn't be surprised that people are going to reject us as well because of the same gospel message. Um, what, what's beautiful here, though, is that we're seeing that the apostles are only called to proclaim the gospel. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to actually bring about faith in the heart of a man or a woman. And, and so, just like they're not supposed to carry the weight, we too are not supposed to carry this weight of whether someone actually believes the gospel. We're simply faithful to, to share the message. Uh, that's the call, to, to trust God to bring about transformation. In verse 5, Jesus instructs them to shake the dust off their feet when they leave town. I can't help but picturing a cat when it walks out of a litter box, the way it kind of shakes that nastiness off. Um, it, it's symbolic what it is. Uh, the, the Jews believed when they would travel through Gentile lands, uh, when they would leave, they would shake all the dust off their sandals, off their feet, because the Gentiles are, uh, were, were just, you know, they didn't want to carry any of it back with them. It was this symbolic idea of, of, of getting rid, and it was a, it was a judgment. And, and, and here, they, he's having them do this because it's the symbolic judgment of if, if you're rejecting the message, you're rejecting God, and, and judgment will be on them. That's the symbol. Uh, and, and so what we see here is that some people are going to believe the message and be saved, while others are going to reject it to their own condemnation. In verse 6, we see that the apostles indeed fulfill, uh, fulfill the requirements of their internship. They can get their degrees, right? They, uh, Luke writes, they departed and they went through the villages preaching the gospel and in healing everywhere. Uh, job well done. Uh, we don't get a lot more detail besides that it went well. Uh, so now we're going to look at verses 7 through 9. If you've got your Bible, I want you to follow along with me. And, and understand these aren't disconnected. It's not like clean the page and start again. Uh, these two things are connected. So as we're reading it, think, think about that. Um, verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had arisen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. That's talking about Jesus there, right? The one he wants to see. And, um, and it raises this question, right? Luke, as he's writing this gospel, he wants this question echoing around in our heads as we read this. And the question is, is right there. It's the question that Herod asked in, in verse 9, right before you. Who is this about whom I hear such things? He's asking this question. Who, who is Jesus? And, and so now... Herod's a word that shows up, well, a name, right? It shows up often, right? There's more than one Herod, and that gets confusing. Uh, this Herod is the son of the guy also named Herod, uh, for simplicity, uh, who was his father, right? So his father's the one who tried to kill baby Jesus uh, shortly after the birth of Christ. This is the son. This Herod is the, the ruler of the region of Galilee. He's a, a king, a regional king, and he has worldly power. And yet here he finds himself a hearing about Jesus, and he is perplexed, perplexed, confused, doesn't know what to think about it. Uh, as we're hearing him think through some of those thoughts, there, there's some idea that maybe his conscience is getting to him. Uh, because not too long ago, at his own birthday party, the, the daughter of Herodias, this, this woman, 
uh, dances for him. And he must have been some huge fan of dancing uh, because he's so pleased by her dance that he's, he says, you know what, I'll, I'll give you whatever you want, pretty much. Uh, and, and at her mother's malicious urging, she, she'd been talked. Um, John the Baptist had, had pointed out some sin of Herod and Herodias. And so Herodias encourages her daughter, you know, ask for John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. I don't know the significance of the platter, uh, but since he was already in prison, Herod, this Herod that we're talking about here, indeed orders his head to be delivered on a platter and, uh, and has him killed. Uh, and so at this point, there, there's some sense that maybe he thinks, <clears throat> did John come back to life? Uh, because that's what some people are saying. And, and so he's wondering, you know, is, is this Jesus guy actually John the Baptist? Or he's wondering, is, is maybe he Elijah? Uh, you know, he certainly knows the, the prophecy that the Jews had from the book of Malachi that says God's going to send Elijah. Remember, Herod is perplexed of what he's hearing about Jesus, which is really interesting here. Not Because he's not perplexed about the apostles, is he? Because... It tells you something about their ministry, the apostles, right? Because it, what's just happened, though, is the apostles go out, and they're the ones who are doing these miraculous things. They're the ones proclaiming the kingdom of God. And yet, what, when, it, when the message gets to him, he starts asking questions about, about God, about Jesus, rather. And it's surprising to me, because from what I know about our own culture, I'm kind of surprised that, that he's not saying things like... Um, uh, you know, there aren't people saying, like, you know, how awesome Peter is. Or, or he's not perplexed about what, what, what an amazing and gifted speaker he's hearing that Thomas is. Or, or about how passionate for, for God Nathaniel is. It, it's not about those individuals. <clears throat> Somehow, they, they proclaim the message, and, and so that what gets across is how uh, amazing Jesus is. That, that's what he's talking about. They're talking about Jesus, which is exactly what we want people to do when, when we've walked away from talking to them about Jesus, that their focus is on who he is, not, not who we are. You know, may our words and deeds always cause people to look to Christ. And so this, this passage then brings up another question that we all must answer. And I'll, I'll, so I'll ask you, do you want to be the king or do you want to be in the kingdom of God. You can't have it both ways. Do you want to be the king or do you want to be in the kingdom of, of God? And I, I told you we'd come back to the content of, of the message, right? Uh, the kingdom of God. And so we need to know what, what does Jesus mean when he says the kingdom of God? First of all, who's the king? This one's quite simple, but uh, it, in a kingdom, the king's the one who gives orders, who, who can give authority and who can grant power to others. Uh, and who is in our passage that gives authority and power to heal and to cast out demons? Who is it? I just need to know you're awake sometimes. You can say it. Who's the king? Jesus. Jesus is the king. But, but, but if Jesus is king, then the question arises, where's the kingdom? Where, where's this land? Listen, the, the kingdom of God is not a territory. There's no army that is protecting some land that, that we call the kingdom of God. There is no flag uh, for the kingdom of God. When you go 12 miles offshore, you're not going to go into international waters from the kingdom of God. Google Maps is not going to be able to get you because the kingdom of God is not a land with a location. See that? 
Um, and you wonder, right, can you be a king without a land? I, I think back to my childhood. I don't know if everyone did this, but uh, whenever there was a group of us kids, we'd see a mountain of hill for construction or whatever it is, and immediately it became a game called King of the Hill, right? And you think, well, that's a land. The, the, the mountain's the land, and you're the king when you're on the top. You just got to push your little sister down. You're good to go. And, and yet you know exactly what happens, right? You're all fighting for who gets to be king of this little hill. And, and next thing you know, mom comes out and yells, get off that hill. Who's the king? Mom. <laughs> she's not in the land. She's not protecting the land. But she's the king because she's ruling, right? Her, her words have have power and influence and she's reigning in that way see the, the the kingdom the apostles were proclaiming isn't about land it's about god's sovereign rule over the hearts of his people that that's what it's about it's, it's about the authority to rule and to reign as king over his people um nicholas romanov who's nicholas the second he, he was the emperor the czar of, of russia beginning in 1894, uh, which meant that we might say, you know, he ruled the land of Russia. That's the way we tend to think of it. But um, really what he did, he didn't rule the land itself. He ruled the people who, who lived in that land, who were citizens uh, under this empire, the Russian Empire. Now, that means the people, you know, submitted to Nicholas. They obeyed his orders. They were loyal to him. Uh, however, in March 15th, 1917, Nicholas was forced to abdicate the throne. It was taken from him. You're no longer king, right? Uh, at which point, he still was dwelling in the land we'd call Russia, but he had no authority anymore. He, he could not exercise rule over people in any, in any way. He, he was really no longer the king, even though the same man is in the same land. You see, Citizens no longer lived in the kingdom of the Romanovs at that point. Now, now listen, whenever God is reigning and ruling in the hearts of his people, that's the kingdom of God. And this is a weird concept for us to get around sometimes. But, you know, if God rules in your heart, the kingdom is here. And, and so then, are, are you a kingdom or are you a citizen in the kingdom of God? Is, it, it, does that describe who you are? Is Jesus your king? Is your heart ruled by God by his word? It's a big question because you can be interested in Jesus and not be a citizen in his kingdom. I mean, after all, as Americans, how many of us are kind of obsessed with Queen Elizabeth and Princess Kate, uh, right? I... I have seen and heard enough of you watching, what is it, The Crown, right? And, and yet it's just a curious interest in these people. I want to know about them. I want to know what they're, you know, what do they do? But, but Elizabeth is not really your queen, except maybe Tim. Did you, did you have to, like, renounce her as your queen to become a U.S. citizen? Oh, you weren't. Well done. No, uh, <laughs> um. I would like to know the answer. Uh, not now, though. Okay, so, so Herod here is this great example of, of, of all this for us, right? Of, of being interested in the king, but, but not really being under the king because he's showing all this interest in Jesus, right? I even want to see Jesus, he's saying in, in our passage here. But, but spoiler alert, Herod's not going to believe in Christ. Herod's going to hold on to, to being a king and, and thus reject being in the kingdom of God. 
literally as a king, but more importantly, in the sense of he's never going to put himself under the kingship of Lord of Christ. He's never going to find himself under the reign of Jesus. So there's a question for us. So, you know, what about us? Do we want to be king or we want to be in the kingdom? Uh, so let's consider a little more specifically the, the message of the kingdom. Uh, <clears throat> think about the fall. And when I say the fall, what I mean by that is, is when Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not an apple tree. I know we always want to say that. But the fruit of the knowledge of uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In fact, it's the only tree in the entire garden that they're told don't eat of that tree. The rest of it, go to town, you know, whatever. Just eat it all, but don't, don't eat of this tree. Uh, it's been forbidden for them. But before they ate that fruit, uh, Satan in the form of a snake is talking to Eve, and he suggests, you know, you know, there's a kingdom better than the kingdom you're living in. Th- that's the first temptation. He- he's saying, Eve, pursue your own desire, pursue your own joy, your own fulfillment, your own rule, and then you can be king of your own life. And isn't that still the message of the culture today? It's not new, but it's definitely still current. If we would just do things our own way, right? That's that great if only. This will fix my life. If we can just reject what God says in his word and live by our own personal ideas and desires, then we can be king and then we can be happy. I mean, really, you, you name the subject, sex, marriage, gender, meaning of life. Um, you know, uh, what is success? How do we label that? Whatever the subject is, the, the cultural message to us is to reject these old-fashioned ideas of God's word and decide in your heart what's right and what's best. You be the king. I think we all know in, in actual practice, it's not even that, though, is it? It's, it's often just let some celebrity somewhere tell you how you should live your life. Um, but at the heart, it's about becoming your own king. But listen, the, the, the first temptation, that's the temptation that we face every day. The moment, right? To reject the king and to establish our own kingdom. And, and so let's... Let's personify for a moment a sunflower, okay? You're going to have to go with me on this, um, because why not? Um, but also because we're in Kansas, it has to be a sunflower. My, my daughter, Berkeley, personifies everything. Uh, I don't know if all kids do this. You know, dino nuggets become characters of, you know, even after they get their head chopped off, they still talk. Uh, sticks are personified. Little, little trees, she'll make fights. Um, Everything gets personified, and, and I find sometimes personifying things, making them human-like, it was really helpful. So anyway, uh, imagine a sunflower saying, I don't want to be constrained by the stalk anymore. The stalk is stifling, it's limiting. I want to be free to do what I want to do, to go where I want to do, go, to just be a sunflower set free into the world, right? To be my own king. Maybe the farmer comes along and tells the sunflower, you know, that's certainly possible. You can be cut off from the stalk. You can be self-sufficient, and then you can go where you want and do what you want, whatever you might desire. And the, and the sunflower that tells the farmer, perfect, that's what I want. That is what I want. And before the farmer acts, he says to the sunflower, you know, there, there is one more thing you need to know. If you're cut off from the stalk, you will be free to go and do whatever you want. But also you will die. Um, your future life is absolutely dependent upon being united to the stock. 
The freedoms will not bring you the life you think. Um, you see, our, our salvation is dependent upon union with Christ. That's, that's what it's dependent upon. John, John Piper once wrote, The essence of the fall is our preferring to be God rather than enjoying God. And in this passage, we see that the essence of the gospel is that God in his grace and in his mercy and his love has not left us to be our own king, but has come in the flesh to rescue us from the bondage of sin and from darkness. And so the good news of the kingdom is that God comes to liberate us so that we can know him and enjoy him and to live under his glorious reign now and forever. Which, of course, brings us back to that question. Do, do you really want to be the king? Or do you want to be in the kingdom of God? The, the kingdom where God is mighty and gracious and ruling and reigning, where he is the king of your life forever. And you know, everything's going to pass away. The world as we know it is going to be gone, but God will never pass away. Your soul will not pass away. As, and as long as you're a citizen in the kingdom of God, as long as you're under the, God's reign and, and, and by grace through faith in Jesus, as long as that's true, you are going to have everything you need forever. And there is no middle ground. There, there just isn't. That's one of the hard truths of the Scripture. There's no middle ground. If we, if we don't have faith in Jesus, we are at the heart rejecting Him, and, and that means eternal judgment. So college students, we're glad you're here. One of our prayers for you, it's for everyone, but you're in a unique stage of your life right now, uh, the way that you are crammed together with so many peers. And one of our prayers for you is that that you find the boldness to proclaim the kingdom of God wherever you are. Whatever organizations you are, whatever dorms you find yourself in, whatever friendships you're making, whatever, if you're in like Asian dance club, that this becomes not only a place that you get to enjoy learning some weird dance, but that you get to make friends that you can share the gospel with. Because that's, that's how you love people. Because that's, that's how we honor our king. And remember, God's going to build his kingdom. But what a blessing it is that he's given us the joy of heralding the message of Christ the King. So just one last time, do you want to be the king? Or do you want to be cared for and provided for and flourishing in the kingdom of God under the reign of the one who has loved his people so much that he laid down his own life for them? And he was so powerful that he was raised back to life and can and will do the same for those in his kingdom. Let's pray.